Would you pray with me? Our precious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the ability to worship together as a church family, even though we're not in the same place or even at the same time. I pray, Lord, today that as we look into your word, I pray that we would be refreshed. I pray that we would be encouraged. I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would minister to us today. Father, we want to pray for this nation. We want to lift up those that are in authority over us. Father, I pray that you would, by your Holy Spirit, pour out wisdom upon their hearts and lives. I pray, Lord, that there would be no politics, but there, there would only be a love and a care and a concern for the people of our nation and even our world. So, Father, we just put this in your hands right now. We ask you, Lord, that you would fill us to overflowing, that we might be a light in the world at this moment in time. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning, Silver Creek. It's wonderful to be able to be with you in this digital fashion. And I'm really looking forward to sharing this message with you today. I spoke with a parent this week who was sending out a care package to her son. Uh, he lives and works in a major metropolitan area. And he sent her a message this week telling her that he was going to be okay, but that he had run out of toilet paper. And he had gone to 11 grocery stores with some of his friends and co-workers, and they could not find one roll of toilet paper in those 11 grocery stores in that massive metropolitan area. And just true to form, mom comes to the rescue. And mom puts together, in a, in a split second, a care package, and she sends it to him containing two rolls of toilet paper. Now, I just have to say that moms are the most selfless people on the face of the earth because who knows, but those two roles eventually may become pretty important in mom's family that's here locally. But I'm so grateful that moms are so selfless, willing to share even the most essential things with their children and people that they love. Thank you, moms, for being so selfless. I heard this week about a, a, another mother in England and this mom was feeling pretty good about herself. She had a stash of 18 rolls of toilet paper that she had uh, put in the bathroom. And um, when she was, you know, not in, in that general vicinity of the house, uh, she didn't realize it. But her kids had gone into the bathroom and without her knowledge, and, and this was not bath time uh, in the family, but, uh, but the kids 
filled the bathtub with water and somebody got the great idea that they should see what it's like when you put a roll of toilet paper into the bathtub. And so the kids grabbed not one, not two, but all 18 rolls of toilet paper and they put them all in the tub and literally that toilet paper just dissolved. I cannot imagine what that mom felt like when she walked into that bathroom and she looked at them that bathtub and I can only imagine the blood curdling scream that she yelled out and how upset she was with those kids. But man, that would have been something really to watch. I just want to encourage you And I'm sharing a couple of these uh, things that I think are humorous for a reason. I don't want us to lose our sense of humor. Keep that sense of humor. In fact, I would really encourage you to, with your family, find things that you can laugh about. Laugh together. Laughter is so important for us. And I don't want you to to feel hopeless. And so find good reasons to laugh. Keep your sense of humor about you. And I believe that that's really going to be a big help as we... um, live out day by day this new reality um, for as long as it lasts, and I want you to be encouraged. We're in a series here um, that we have been calling Outward and talking about the church being outward-focused, and today we have another word that starts with the letter M as we wrap this series up. And in order for the church to be outward focused, it needs to be magnanimous. Magnanimous. I love that word. It means to be generous toward those who are less powerful um, and, and beyond Just being generous, it means being charitable, benevolent, selfless, and self-sacrificing, just like the mom who sent the two rolls of toilet paper for $10 in postage to uh, her son. We need to be selfless and self-sacrificing. If we're going to be an outward-focused church, we must be generous givers. Now, I realize as I say that, that there are going to be a bunch of you that are tempted right now to begin to search for an, uh, another online church service that you can tune into. But I want, I want to just ask you to hang with me because I believe that the message that I'm going to share with you this morning is a very relevant and applicable message for the church today, and it's something that every believer needs to hear, and I'm looking forward to sharing it with you. You see, it it often surprises Christians when they discover just how much the Bible speaks about resources, In fact, there are more than 2,300 verses in the Bible that deal with money, wealth, and possessions. Jesus spoke about money in roughly 15% of his preaching. In fact, 11 out of his 39 parables deal with those subjects. 
Now let's take, for instance, another topic in scripture. Let's talk about grace, how important grace is to you and I. And, and without the grace of God, where would we be? It's by, it's, it's by grace that we're saved through faith, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says, one of the most important verses in the Bible. But the word grace is only mentioned 124 times. So what that means is Jesus talked about things like money, wealth, and possessions nearly 20 times more than he spoke about grace. The Bible has so much to say to you and I about generosity, and right now, as the church, as followers of Jesus Christ, we need to hear those things. And so today, what I'd like to do is share with you three things that I think that you and I need to figure out about generosity in order for us to be an outward-focused church during what I believe is going to be the most critical period of history in our lives. To say nothing less than, than history in general, it's, this is a big time. So the first thing that I'd like to share with you that I think that we've, we've got to figure out is that we need to choose our bank wisely. Now, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not talking about our 401k plan. I'm not talking about our investment broker or our retirement specialist, but I am saying that we need to choose our bank wisely. Let me read from Matthew chapter six, beginning at verse 19, where Jesus says this, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, I want you to know that I am not discouraging you today from having a savings account or a retirement fund. In fact, I, I would say that scripture teaches exactly the opposite of that because scripture instructs us to financially care for our family. In fact, if we fail to, to do so for those that are our closest family, the Bible says that we're worse than an unbeliever. In fact, the Bible even instructs us that we should leave an inheritance for our children. And so I don't want to, I'm not speaking against that, but I do want to look at what Jesus said here because he said, do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth. And that word, that phrase store up, it means to amass or to reserve. And as I read that this week, I was struck by the, the way that sounded in my ears, much like the word and the concept of hoarding that we have seen some people engage in here in our society. And hoarding, it means a mass, whether it's money or valued objects and, and hiding them or storing them away. I came across an article this week written by Jaleesa Castrodale, and she was referring to a New York Times piece about a couple of brothers from Tennessee. Their names were Matt and Noah. And Matt and Noah drove 1,300 miles across two states to buy thousands of bottles of hand sanitizer 
and thousands of packages of antibacterial wipes within just the past several weeks so that they could resell them online at inflated prices. In fact, they, they took bottles uh, of, of Purell that would sell on Amazon for little more than a dollar, and they were listing them for anywhere between $8 and $70 each, depending on the time they were for sale. Immediately, the attorney general for the state of Tennessee began investigating, and they sent their investigators to the, one of the homes of these brothers, And let me just boil it down to this to say that essentially these men were forced to donate everything that they had stockpiled to sell for their own benefit. They were forced to donate all of that hand sanitizer and bacterial wipes uh, basically to a local church ministry who would distribute them and use them. All of these, they were redistributed so that, that it was people who actually needed them would get them rather from than, than to be possessed by those who wanted to simply profit from them. Now, if Jesus is telling us that we are not supposed to amass or collect, then the opposite would seem to be true to me. That we should actually, on the other hand, be generously giving. As we give to others, What Jesus is saying is that we're actually amassing for ourselves treasures in heaven that will last. You see, if we do not give from our resources, then there is no eternal value that is derived from those resources. We've all heard the saying, you can't take it with you, right? There was a man, I found a story this week, there was a man that had worked all his life saved all of his money, and he was really known as as quite a miser when it came to his finances. It seemed that he loved money more than just about anything, and just before he died, he said to his wife this. He said, now listen, when I die, I want you to take all my money, and I want you to put it in the casket with me. Because I want to take all my money to the afterlife. And he got his wife to actually promise him with all her heart that when he died that she would put all his money in the casket with him. Well, of course, one day he died. And there in the funeral home as he was stretched out in his casket, the ceremony had taken place the memorial service. The wife is sitting there in the front row, all dressed in black, next to one of their closest family friends. When the ceremony was completely finished, just before the funeral home directors were going to get ready to close the the casket, the wife shouted out, wait a minute. She had a shoebox that was beneath her chair, and she pulled out that shoebox, and she came over with that shoebox, and she placed it in the casket, and then the, the funeral home directors locked the casket, and they rolled it away. Her family friend said to her, I hope 
that you were not crazy enough to actually put all that money in there for that stingy old man. The wife responded, yes, I did. I promised. And I'm a good Christian woman, and I cannot lie. I promised him that I was going to put that money in the casket with him. The friend said, you mean to tell me that you put every cent of his money in that casket with him? She said, I sure did. I got it all together and I put it in my account and I wrote him a check. We can't take it with us, can we? Where our resource goes reflects a great deal about the priorities of our heart. When we give it away, it's like making a deposit in heaven's bank. When we amass it just for ourselves, it has no lasting value for us and no immediate value for anyone else. And in order for you and I to be part of an outward focused church, an outward focused body of Christ, we need to be magnanimous. We need to be generous to those who are less powerful than we are. And we need to make sure that we choose wisely the place that we put our resources. Number two, it's a matter of principle. A principle is a fundamental truth that serves as a foundation for a system of belief. The Apostle Paul said this in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning at verse 6. He said, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Now, whether a person is a Christ follower or not, biblical principles still apply. If you don't plant seed in the ground in the springtime, you won't have a harvest in the fall. There is nothing that you can do to change that fact. It is simply the truth. Years ago, right out of Bible college, Veronica and I were stationed in a rural community and we got to know farmers that were in that community and one particular spring it was really wet and it was so wet that it caused a lot of problem for farmers and I remember hearing of one farmer in particular that his fields were so wet that he kept putting off his planting and putting off his planting and eventually, the reality was that he never got seed in the ground for his corn that spring. Well, the reality is that 90 days later, while the other farmers were bringing in a harvest that was less than average, it certainly was not a bumper crop, it was on the lower end, this farmer had no crops in the field to bring in whatsoever. 
Now, the decision not to plant belongs solely to the farmer, but the results of that decision were a matter of principle, the principle of sowing and reaping. Now, those of you that don't know much about farming, you may not understand this, but in the springtime, uh, farmers borrow money sometimes in order to purchase the seed because if they don't, they won't have that seed and they won't have the harvest in the fall. And when the harvest comes in in the fall, they're able to pay off that loan that they took out for the seed in the spring. I have a friend of mine that farming has been in his family for numerous generations. His parents were in a terrible car accident. His dad hung there clinging on to life for several hours after the accident. His mother had already passed from the accident. And one of the last things that his dad said to him before he passed away was to remind him where to buy seed that spring. That was so ingrained in him as a farmer that he had to tell his son where to buy it. When we live by this principle of sowing and reaping, God is able to bless us, Scripture says, abundantly. God is able to bless us in such a way that we have more than enough. And, and, and I want you to get this. In order that we will be able to flourish and thrive in doing good works, Paul says, for others. So God's blessing to us is not just to say, here you go. But he literally wants us to thrive. He really wants us to flourish in order that then we might turn around and use those resources to do good things on behalf of other people. A friend of mine went to the grocery store this last week and his credit card was declined. It was pretty early in the morning and he had plenty of time. So rather than just pull out a different card, he, he got his cell phone out, <clears throat> called the credit card company just to see what was going on. And while he was doing that, there was a woman in the next aisle over that was having her groceries checked out. And on two different occasions during that time while she was checking out, she asked him if he needed her to pay for those groceries. Now, he didn't have a gallon of milk and a dozen eggs and a loaf of bread. He had about a couple hundred dollars worth in his cart. And I can only imagine that most of us, we, we might think to ourselves, well, okay, maybe I should ask and, and oh, hey, do you need help? And, and if someone declines, we think, wow, I really dodged a bullet there. But she asked a second time, do you need me to pay for those groceries? Now, she didn't know who he was. She didn't know him. And we don't know if she was a follower of Christ, but we know one thing, and that is that she lived by the principle of sowing and reaping. Here at Silver Creek Church, as part of Kingdom Builders, we partner with Silver Creek Thrift. Coming up May 21st and again in July 16th, we're confirmed to have Feeding America events here at Silver Creek, but 
but we've had some conversation in the last few days that, that May really is waiting too long, and so we are waiting to hear back right now if there is a possibility that we might be able to hold a, a, an additional Feeding America event right here uh, at Silver Creek in the, within the next couple of weeks. We're trying to, to determine that. By the time you're listening to this uh, message, we probably will already know um, what the, when that will be. And so we will communicate information to you. It'll be a drive-up event where, where rather than come into our facilities, a very small crew, less than 10 people, would work together to, to get the, um, the, the, the food prepared uh, once the truck arrives and we have it unloaded. And as guests pull up, we would put it into their vehicle for them. And, and so they would not have to get out. They would not have to come into our building. There would be virtually no contact that would happen there. But we're trying to add this additional uh, drive-through event as soon as possible. Those events will feed 200 uh, families within our community for each event. There's about 10 to 12,000 pounds of food that would be distributed at each event. And those things cost about $1,200 in order for us to, to have that come together. So, so someone might be thinking, wait, wait a second, let's get this straight for a moment. Currently in our community, as well as in the rest of the nation, People are, are going to places like Walmart and they're spending 300% more every day than we did before this began. And what you're telling me is that we need to, as a, as a, a body of Christ, as a local church, that we need to take resources that we have and we need to begin to think about others and we need to, to give them some of those resources in order that they might have enough. Why in the world, you might think, do we need to do this? And I'll tell you why. It's because we believe in the principle of sowing and reaping. We believe in the principle of generosity. And if we as the church fail to sow during this season, there will not be a harvest when we get through it on the other side. And we will get through it on the other side. But in order to have the harvest that God desires, we must sow now in order to reap later. I failed to put it in your notes for this morning, but I was reminded of Paul's words in Galatians 6, 9, where he said, let us not become weary in well-doing, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Friends, we cannot give up. We cannot give up on this principle of generosity, the principle, the law of the harvest, sowing and reaping. I was so thrilled last Sunday to receive three different responses from the message when we prayed together at the end of the service. Friends, that's a harvest. We desire harvest. People from outside of our church, outside of our community, responding and saying, I, 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 I want 
I, I want the peace of God. I want the hope that only comes with Jesus. And I believe that we need to continue sowing as a body of Christ. And when we do, we're going to be an outward focused church. But we must, uh, we must embrace the principle of generosity in order to become so. And then thirdly, giving trumps receiving. In Acts chapter 20, verse 35, the apostle Paul says this, and everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now as parents, most of us have used these words to try to teach lessons to our children particularly at Christmas time, when we want them to understand that it's not all about receiving, but giving really plays an important role. We want them uh, not just to, to understand this important truth, not so they'll just learn to share. We want them to share, but there's so much more to it than that. We want them to develop a generous spirit. Why? Because this, this principle and this idea of, of, uh, of giving, is, it's more blessed to give than receive because it's true, because God's word is true. Jesus said it this way in Luke chapter 6, verse 38. He said, give and it will be given to you a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the, the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Here's what Jesus is saying. When you give, you actually receive more than the individual that you might be giving to. Friends, I, I want us to get this today. I want us to understand this today, that, that we need to embrace the idea of giving. And this is the crucial and the critical moment in time where as the church, we need to rise up and we need to understand this principle and we need to begin to engage in it. You say, Pastor, this is 2,000 years ago that Jesus is talking about. Yes, but Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He said, give and it will be given to you. Pressed down. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. As we, as we share the resources that God has given us, there is something that is unleashed from heaven. There is a blessing. There is something that God has for us that literally will trump the, the giving itself. What we receive back uh, is of greater value to us. I want you to remember something that this moment that we live in is a moment that I believe is early on in, our, in the crisis that we're going through. This week I went through a drive-through at a local business here in our community. I asked the person who was waiting on me how she was doing and her answer was very transparent and I did not expect it. And she said, I'm scared to death. 
I knew at that moment that I needed to respond to her statement, but I decided that I would just wait until the right moment. Once our transaction was completed, I asked permission to ask her a personal question, and she granted permission. And I asked her, do you believe in prayer? She hesitated. She almost stumbled before she was able to say yes. I I think she was uh, afraid to answer or that somehow she wanted to quantify her response. But I was already prepared that once she she said yes, I already knew what my next question would be. And and I asked her, I said, may I pray for you? She responded, yes, I would like that. And this time there was much more confidence in her answer than what it had been a moment before. So I proceeded to pray for her, asking God to provide protection over not only herself and her family, but her coworker who was standing right there with her that, that was observing, listening, engaging in the same conversation, in the same prayer. I said, God, protect these, these ladies that are working on the front line of their company, that are dealing with the public, that are passing things back and forth, uh, uh, and, and with all of the fear that is, uh, that is being Uh, that is being dealt with, uh, everything that we're dealing with in our heart. And I invoked God's peace and his comfort as well as his authority over her fear and her anxiety. And I ended my prayer by saying, in Jesus' name, amen, so that there would be literally there's, there's no confusion over who I'm praying to. And immediately after I said amen, I opened my eyes and she stepped back a couple of steps and she grabbed a tissue because I could see it in the reflection in the light that tears were streaming down her face. I felt compelled to go just a little further. So I I told her that I believed in God's word and that God's word was very encouraging to me and that contained in it were these words that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. She literally drank up my words like a dry sponge soaking up water. And after giving her those words of encouragement, I I understood that, that even though I was the one through the power of the Holy Spirit giving it that I was receiving back, whether it's resources of time or effort or energy or maybe it's finances or maybe it's goods or maybe it's a couple rolls of toilet paper, whatever we give, Jesus said when we give, we receive an even greater blessing as a result. I'm reminded of Paul's words in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2, when he says this to the church. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. In ancient Greek, there are two words for time. One is the word chronos. It means a chronological or sequential time. And the other is kairos. 
and it means the right or critical or opportune moment. And I want you to know that I believe that now is the time. Now is the opportune moment for the church of Jesus to rise up and to be outward focused. Now is the exact moment in history. It is time. We must be a church that magnifies the Lord, who worships the Lord with our whole heart. We need to be a church that is moving forward in maturity. We need to be an outward-focused church that is ministering to the needs of others. We need to be a church that is multiplying by sharing our faith and seeing people come to know Jesus as their personal savior and we need to be a church that is magnanimous toward others generous toward those who are less powerful than us and I believe that in doing so in this time there will be a harvest that is reaped on the other side that will be so incredible that we can't even imagine it let's take a moment as we close And let's pray together. Father, we just come to you right now. And I pray that through the power of your Holy Spirit that you will assuage any fears that we might have. We've undoubtedly all gone to the grocery store over the past 10 days or two weeks and And we've bought things that we felt like, you know what, I might not get another chance to do this, so I better get it now. But Father, I pray that as your church, that we will be overwhelmed with a spirit of generosity. I pray, Lord, that as the church, we will understand that now is the Kairos time. Now is the opportune moment for us to rise up and that the world is looking to see how we respond. And Father, within the sound of my voice right now, there are several hundred people that are gathered, that are listening, that are part of that church. And Father, I pray that we will decide that we will be generous to one another, generous with our our time, generous with our assistance, generous with our resources. Father, there will be those in the next few weeks that are not going to have enough and they're not going to know where to get it. And I pray that the church will rise up and provide for it in Jesus' name. Father, We come against that spirit of fear that the world is sensing and feeling. We come against that spirit of anxiety. And in its place, we pray that there would be a sense of love and a spirit of generosity that rises up in us, that sees the church meet needs in real time in our community. Father, I believe that at this Kairos time, the church will show her true colors and we will see a harvest 
Because we believe in the principle of sowing and reaping and a spirit of generosity is going to pervade your people. Father, for those that are afraid, we stand against that fear. We stand against it and we release that spirit of power and love and a sound mind. And I pray that we will hear incredible stories of the harvest. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It has really been a privilege to spend this time with you today. I don't take it for granted. Thank you for those of you that you've even been messaging as we've been going along in this this sermon today. I pray God's blessing on you. If you have need in your life, whether it's a spiritual need, an emotional or physical need, we want to reach out to you today. Just private message us so that we can help minister to you. Thank you. God bless you. And we will see you very soon.